Haunted UK podcast is recorded and mixed in stereo. Listening through an environment such as stereo speakers or headphones will ensure you get the best experience. Let me quickly tell you about our official podcast sponsor, CDS Print and Design. CDS is a family-run company who offer great prices and great products such as printed t-shirts, hoodies, canvases, coasters, placemats, stickers, banners, signage and much, much more. For more information or for a free no-obligation quote, email Colin or Debbie at cdsprintanddesign at gmail.com. You can also find CDS Print and Design on Facebook and Instagram. Before we get started, I just want to let you know that the Haunted UK podcast is now on coffee. If you love the show and want more content, such as bite-sized bonus episodes, horror and paranormal movie reviews, chances to get your hands on exclusive Haunted UK podcast merch courtesy of CDS Print and Design, as well as a free Haunted UK podcast sticker and much more, then get yourself over to Coffee and sign up to donate £3 per month. That's KO-FI and search for the Haunted UK podcast. Coffee, why not buy us one? And here's a shout out to the amazing people who've already donated. They are Diane Beale, Debbie Holloway, Brian Goheen, all the way from Texas by the way, Callum Patterson, Jane Dudley, Pete Hodkinson, and last but not least, Editor Wardash. Thank you all so much for listening and supporting the show. This is Season 2 of the Haunted UK Podcast. And in this season, we're going to cast our net far and wide to tell stories of UFOs, unsolved mysteries, strange creatures, unexplained disappearances, as well as further tales of ghosts, poltergeists and haunted locations. So let's dive in. Imagine yourself on a lonely, dark road, lit only by the headlights of your car. You see a figure ahead thumbing a lift. You know you shouldn't pull over and stop, but you do anyway. You lower the passenger window and ask if the figure needs a lift. The figure just nods and then gets in the back of your car. You ask your passenger where they would like to go, but they only point to a sign with a village name on it. You drive away, getting nervous by the lack of conversation. After a few minutes, your attention is drawn to a junction. After you make the turn, you look in the rearview mirror to ask what street your passenger lives on, only to find they've disappeared. No, you haven't entered the dimension of the Twilight Zone. You've entered the world of the Phantom Hitchhiker.
This is episode 13 of the Haunted UK podcast, and in this episode, we're going to explore the realm of the Phantom Hitchhiker. There are urban legends out there which sometimes have the power to widen their span into real life. The story of phantom hitchhikers has been around for many years and manifests itself in many different formats. But how does an urban legend transcend into real life? The answer? From real world events and experiences. We're going to kick this episode off with a phantom hitchhiker story that literally turns the usual story on its head. It's 1955, and a young Telis of Alice is on his way back to Long Island, New York after a date. This was a few years before Savalas had begun his acting career, so was working for the State Department. It was around 2am, and embarrassingly, Telly had just run out of fuel. He got out of his car and walked a short distance to where he came upon a White Castle 24-hour restaurant. He asked a member of staff if there was a fuel station nearby and was told to take a short walk through a wooded area until he reached the Grand Central Parkway. He should walk along this until he reached the Cross Island Parkway and that's where the fuel station would be. Telly thanked the staff member and began his journey. As he came out of the restaurant, he made his way to the wooded area and started walking through. He could hear the odd car in the distance, which meant that he was definitely going in the right direction to get to the Grand Central Parkway. As he got to the highway, he heard a voice clearly say, I'll give you a ride, coming from literally nowhere. He turned around to see a large black Cadillac parked at the side of the road. Savalas walked back to the car and opened the door to find a man in a white suit in the driver's seat with nobody else in the car. The man repeated the offer again to Savalas. I'll give you a ride. Telly thanked the man and got into the car. He remembers that they made general small talk, but it was quite awkward. He also remembered that the man's voice made him nervous as it sounded as if he'd had throat cancer or some other condition. They eventually got to the fuel stop, and as Telly was searching his pockets for money, the stranger said, don't worry, I'll lend you a few dollars. Again, Telly was embarrassed to admit that he didn't have any money at all. He thanked the man for his kindness and asked him to give him his address and phone number so he could at least mail the money back to him. The stranger wrote his details down using a pencil and a piece of paper from the fuel station, then watched as Savalas filled up his petrol container. The man then offered to drive him back to his car. Savalas took the man up on his offer and thanked him once more. As they were driving back, Savalas vividly remembered the stranger say, out of the blue, that he was very good friends with Harry Aganis. Telly had no idea who this person was. The man replied that Harry Aganis was a famous baseball player, a utility infielder for the Boston Red Sox, and they were both very close friends. Telly was just struck by how bizarre this statement was, as it was so random. A little while later, they had arrived back at Telly's car and emptied the contents of the petrol container into the tank. The man then helped push the car to get it going, which Savalas again thanked him for. They then went their separate ways. 
Telly Savalas woke up and got ready for work. The day went as normal up until a headline hit the news regarding the death of Boston Red Sox baseball star Harry Aganis at the age of just 26. Telly was shocked by the coincidence of the conversation he'd had with the stranger the night before and began to tell his mother about the whole situation. He then remembered the piece of paper with the man's name, address and phone number on, so decided to call the number and pass on his condolences and to also say that he was mailing the money back to him and to thank him once more for all of his help. A man picked up the phone and answered, Jimmy's bar. Telly asked if he could speak to Mr. Cullen, please. The man on the phone asked, who? Telly replied, Mr. Cullen? The man then said, one moment, please, and then Telly heard the phone get put down. A few moments later, a woman's voice said, who's calling, please? Savalas asked again if he could speak to Mr. Cullen, to which the woman said that he wasn't available. Savalas then asked when he would be available. The woman, now becoming a little irate, asked what this was all about. Telly then explained that he was with Mr. Cullen last night and, after his help, he left him his number and address to get in touch with him. The woman then replied by saying, Look, you son of a bitch, you're talking about my husband and he's been dead for two years. She then slammed the phone down, terminating the call. Telly Savalas simply couldn't let this experience go unexplained, so attempted to contact Mr. Cullen's wife again. After a lengthy conversation, Cullen's wife agreed to meet with Savalas. She travelled down to New York from Boston and they spoke in detail about her husband's ghostly appearance. The coincidences and lightnesses were huge. Savalas described the black Cadillac he was driving, the white suit he was wearing, the friendship he had with Harry Aganis. Cullen's wife confirmed that he did indeed drive a black Cadillac. The white suit was the suit that he was buried in. Harry Aganis was indeed a very close friend of her late husband. Savalis then showed her the piece of paper Mr. Cullen had given him at the fuel station. Mrs. Cullen then produced a letter from her handbag that was written to her from her husband during the war. The writing styles matched exactly, with the only difference being that Savalis's note was signed James Cullen, whereas Mrs. Cullen's letter was simply signed Jimmy Cullen. But his name was actually James. The last thing that gave both Telly Savalis and Mrs. Cullen the creeps was the description of James Cullen's voice when he was speaking to Telly. He said that he seemed to struggle to speak, as if he was suffering from throat cancer or something like that. Mrs. Cullen said that her husband had committed suicide by shooting himself through the base of his neck. This would have completely destroyed James Cullen's vocal cords. Our next example follows the more widely reported format of the phantom hitchhiker phenomenon, but this is no means less scary. We're in the UK now, back in 1979. Roy Fulton was 26 years old at the time and was a professional carpet fitter. It was quite late and Roy was returning home from a darts match in Leighton Buzzard which he'd been taking part in. He was also an avid supporter of Liverpool Football Club and was engrossed in his thoughts regarding their upcoming match the next day. 
As Roy was driving along a deserted stretch of Station Road in his Austin minivan, he spotted a youth in the distance at the side of the road thumbing for a lift. Banking on the possibility that the youth was heading to either Tottenhoe or Dunstable, he decided to pull over and play the Good Samaritan. The hitchhiker began to walk down the road to the car, and Roy noted that he was wearing dark trousers, a jumper, and a white collared shirt. Nothing really unusual at all. The man opened the minivan passenger door and got inside. Roy put the van into gear and pulled away. Trying to start a conversation, Roy asked his passenger the obvious first question. Where did he want to get to? But the man never replied. He simply raised his arm and pointed down the now misty road. For the next few minutes, their journey continued in awkward silence, with neither Roy nor his silent passenger deciding to begin to speak. Finally, Roy decided to try and break the ice by leaning forward to reach for his cigarettes. This was the moment when a straightforward journey home, which had taken a slightly odd turn with a hitchhiker who decided to remain silent, turned into a frightening and eerie incident in time which would literally haunt Roy for the rest of his life. In his own words, Roy said, quote, I leant forward and picked up the packet of cigarettes, turned round to offer the lad one, and that man or boy was not sitting there, end quote. Needless to say, Roy was completely shocked and stunned by what had just happened. He quickly turned on the interior light to make sure that the hitchhiker hadn't somehow crawled over the passenger seat and into the rear of the van. But he hadn't. Roy was completely alone, in his van, on a dark, misty road. Absolutely terrified, Roy floored the van and headed for his local pub, The Glider, on the Lowther Road in Dunstable. When he pulled up on the car park, he rushed into the bar and ordered a drink. Pub manager Bill Stone noticed that Roy was shaking and was very pale with fright. Bill asked Roy what was wrong and got the surprise of his life when he and a group of locals heard the terrifying incident that had just happened to Roy. The two main points of the whole event that would truly haunt Roy were A. Had the youth been in an accident that hadn't been reported? And B. Would his ghost follow him home and haunt him for the rest of his life? Roy was interviewed a number of times and his story was always recounted in exactly the same way. It's never changed. We're staying in the UK now for our next tale and making our way down to Devon, the Tavistock area to be more precise. While this story doesn't exactly fit the phantom hitchhiker mould, it does share a few similarities and it's absolutely fascinating. John Barker was a very successful engineer and his job took him all around the UK as well as Europe. He'd even been to conferences in America and Japan. John helped design and build things like power stations, motorways and railways. At the time of this story, he had worked for a global construction and engineering company for nearly 17 years and was in quite a senior position. He was due to attend a series of meetings in London over the next three days, so would be away from home. It was November 1989. Autumn was well and truly taking hold of the year and many people were well on their way to beginning to organise their Christmases. John was married with one son, who was at university, and he was also looking forward to the Christmas break with his family. 
he packed his suitcase, loaded his car and began his journey. He decided to take a route over Dartmoor starting mid-afternoon, so dusk was already beginning to settle in. This wasn't a problem to John as he made this journey many times during his commutes into London to the company's main office. This was a perk of his job and his position within the company and it enabled him and his family to live in a more rural area. As John was entering Dartmoor National Park, he had no idea that this journey would alter his life forever. The trip was uneventful for the first half hour or so. John was quite happily listening to music and thinking about the meetings ahead as darkness began to close in quickly. The moors can be a very desolate, lonely and spooky place, even in daylight, so when darkness envelopes it, it can take on a much more sinister character. As John was driving along, he spotted a figure in the car's headlights. It looked like a woman in a white dress at the side of the road. This was quite alarming as there was literally nothing around, but what struck John the most was that this woman seemed to have a glow around her. She didn't seem to be thumbing a lift or in any distress, so John wasn't planning to pull over, but as he got closer to her, she suddenly ran out in front of the car. He hit the brakes hard and heard a loud bang from the front of the car. The impact of the woman hitting the vehicle. After the car had come to a halt, John sat for a few seconds trying to process what had just happened. Then he thought of the woman. He got out of the car not sure what he was going to see, but was totally shocked to see nothing at all. No body, no blood, no damage. Nothing. John started to panic. Where could she be? There was no trace of her under the car or at the side of the road. There was definitely a loud sound of something hitting the front of the car, but there was absolutely no sign of any accident at all. John quickly got back into the car, turned around and headed for home. As he got through the door of his house, his wife asked him if everything was okay. Had he forgotten something? Then she noticed how shook up and pale he was. He sat her down and told her what had happened and she suggested that they go to the police to file a report. They both arrived at their local police station and, after a while, were shown into an interview room. They gave a statement to a very intrigued police officer who agreed to follow the couple back out to the scene of the incident. As they arrived and got out of their vehicles, John and his wife watched the policeman as he took a walk around to see if he could spot anything. The only thing that was found were the tyre marks that were made when John hit his brakes. There was really nothing that the police could do. There was no trace of any woman at all. No damage to John's car and no signs that an accident had actually occurred. John and his wife returned home and John called one of his colleagues at the hotel where he should have been. He told him that a family matter had cropped up and that he would make his way to London the next day. John never found out who the mystery woman was. He never found any evidence that an accident had ever happened on that road or in that area. It was a complete mystery. But John was, and still is, 100% certain that he encountered a ghost on that evening all those years ago. This particular topic of the paranormal yields a massive amount of stories and experiences, and I can see this will be making a comeback in the form of a second episode in a future season. But for now... We're going to round off this episode with another tale in the UK. 
From Devon, we're moving a few hundred miles up north to Northumberland. In 2015, Rob Davies and Chris Felton were radio presenters on a station in Gateshead. They had been out to record a segment for a piece on the anniversary of the Battle of Otterburn and were making their way back home along the A696 at around 11.30pm. As Chris was driving, Rob became aware of the figure of a man standing at the side of the road, looking like he was thumbing for a lift. Rob made Chris aware of the man, and they both had an eerie feeling that there was something not quite right. As they got closer, they could see that the figure was wearing what looked like a beige jumpsuit, but they were going too quick to pull over straight away. They both decided that they should turn around and see if they could offer the man a lift, even though they both had a bad feeling about the situation. Rob also noted, but didn't tell Chris at the time, that the man's eyes didn't reflect the car lights as they approached and went by. They were approximately two miles from the nearest village and there was nothing around as far as they could see. This made the pair a little more nervous, so they both agreed that they would drive past once more and if he was, well, real, they both joked, they would stop and pick him up. Rob started to record the figure on his iPhone as they went past for a second time and noticed that the man was dressed in an RAF type jumpsuit with something under his arm that they thought was either a helmet or some sort of bag. They quickly swung around to pick up the man and this was just a matter of a few seconds. But he was gone. The only other car on the road at the time was behind them and it didn't stop either. There was no one walking on either side of the road. It was a complete mystery. The pair were convinced that they had seen a phantom hitchhiker and they were determined to try and find out if there was anything behind their sighting. The video that Rob shot on his iPhone also reinforced the need to try and find an explanation. The video, whilst a little unfocused, clearly showed a figure wearing some type of beige clothing holding something under its arm. After doing some research, Rob felt that he'd found the answer. In 1943, an RAF aircraft crashed in a field on Middleton Farm, killing everybody on board. The field that the aircraft crashed into bordered the road where Rob and Chris had seen and filmed the mysterious figure, or phantom hitchhiker, or who knows. As stated earlier, this topic of the paranormal has so many stories from all over the world. Many skeptics would say that the phantom hitchhiker legend can be traced as far back as 1870. Others would say that the majority of more modern-day sightings mirror in some way, shape or form one of the most famous phantom hitchhiker stories of all time, the sighting of Resurrection Mary. The story goes that in 1939, Chicago native Joe Pallas was on a night out at the Liberty Grove and Hall at 47th and Mozart. He spotted a beautiful young woman and they began to dance together. He noticed that she was quite pale and cold to touch and couldn't really get to have a full conversation with her due to them dancing and the loud music. She did tell him her name was Mary. Joe claimed that a number of times he even kissed her. At the end of the night, she asked to be driven home. As they got onto Archer Avenue, she asked Joe to stop the car but there wasn't anything around apart from the Resurrection Cemetery. Joe watched, dumbfounded, 
as Mary ran towards the lock gates of the cemetery and disappeared. The huge problem with comparing all phantom hitchhiker stories to this one is quite simple. They're not all the same. Different locations, different content, but most importantly, different witnesses. Well, we've come to the end of this episode of the Haunted UK podcast. But before I go, I'd like to give a few shout-outs. And the first one is to all of you, the listeners. Thank you so much for following, subscribing and listening. None of this would be possible without all of you. The show is available on all major platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Pocket Casts and Radio Public. Wherever possible, leaving a positive five-star review helps the show in many ways. Listener figures are rising rapidly, and that's all down to you. So a huge thanks to you all. Another shout-out goes to the show's sponsor, CDS Print and Design, who have been kind enough to come back for a second season. Huge thanks to both Colin and Debbie. This next shout-out goes to some amazing podcasts out there which, if you're looking for fantastic content and shows that will keep you engaged for episode after episode, then these will definitely keep you entertained for hours. These podcasts are Red-Handed, Astonishing Legends, The Strange Sessions, The Salty Speculation Podcast, Fool and Scholar Productions Podcasts, Pineapple Pizza Podcast, Killing, Missing, Hidden, The Haunted Housewives, Keep It Weird, The Mystery of Life podcast, and from the Parcast Network, which is now exclusively only on Spotify, Conspiracy Theories, Extraterrestrial, Gone, and Unexplained Mysteries. Next up is a request to all you listeners out there. Have you seen a ghost? Witnessed poltergeist activity? Had a strange, unexplained paranormal experience? Have you ever stayed in a haunted location or experienced something frightening on a ghost tour? Even better, do you live or work in a haunted house or building? Have you encountered or seen a UFO? Heard a story about an unsolved disappearance or mystery? Or have you been lucky enough to witness a strange, unknown creature? If you have, then your story could feature on Season 2's Listener Stories finale episode. Simply type up your story and email it to hauntedukpodcast at hotmail.com. That's hauntedukpodcast at hotmail.com. It's easy to do, and if you like, you can remain anonymous. Huge thanks in advance to you all. Besides writing, recording, mixing and mastering this podcast, I also run a mixing and mastering studio called Pink Flamingo Music Productions. If you have a podcast or piece of music that you'd like mixing, mastering or both, or if you'd like a piece of finished music written for a project that you're working on, then please email the studio with details of your inquiry to pinkflamingo.musicproductions at hotmail.com. That's pinkflamingo.musicproductions at hotmail.com. It's nowhere near as expensive as you'd think. This podcast was recorded at Pink Flamingo Music Production Studio in Hales Owen in the West Midlands, England. 
for a full list of research sources that helped immensely with the content of this episode, please refer to the show's notes. Thank you all so much again for listening, and we'll be back very soon with another episode. Until then, stay safe and take care. Thank you.